Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you once again for your grace and mercy. Thank you for this opportunity to break the bread of your word with your people. And I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us, when we leave this place, will grow closer to you. I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we are in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 20 through 36. 20 through 36, and the title uh, of the study is It's Time. It's Time. And so as you turn there, just want to give a little background information. It won't be too long, but I wanted to give a little background information before we jump into John 12, verse 20. And I just wanted to share with you that this lesson takes place during the last week before Jesus' death. Now, at this point, he has made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, which we call Palm Sunday. And he had already overturned the tables of of the money changers, and he had thrown out those people who were buying and selling, doing business in the court of the Gentiles on the temple complex. So all of that has taken place so far. And so we get to John 12, verse 20. And it says, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. And they asked him, saying, sir, we wish to see or meet Jesus. We wish to see or meet Jesus. And so the Greeks in verse 20, these are Gentile Greeks. They they represent people from all over the world. Now, some people believe that they were proselytes or converts to Judaism. And some believe that they were not proselytes, but God-fearing Gentiles. But either way, these certain Greeks, these Gentiles, they went up to Jerusalem to worship at the feast the Passover celebration. And so the Gentiles, they, they came to Philip, one of Jesus's disciples. And it's clear that Philip was from Bethsaida and Bethsaida means house of fish. Now, now this place was a small fishing village on the West shore of the sea of Galilee, which is really a lake. And it was also the city of Andrew and Peter. Now notice with these, what these Gentiles requested. We wish to see Jesus. You see, many people want to meet movie stars and and famous singers and rappers and and athletes. And I could tell you this from personal experience. I've I've, I've met some famous people and, and some of them were just flat out rude. And some of them were, were really nice. They, they talk to you like, like they've known you for years. And I won't mention any names because, 
because I don't want to go viral. So I won't mention any names of, of, of who the, you know, the root ones were. But, but many people have this list of famous people. Oh, I, if I could just meet them. But, but these Gentiles, these Greeks, they, they just wanted to meet Jesus. And I just wonder today, wouldn't it be a blessing if, if people were to come to us and just ask us, hey, can we meet the Jesus that you serve? You say that you are a Christian. You say that you repented and put your faith in Christ. And, and I see the change in your life. Can I meet that Jesus? I wonder what that would be like if people were to come to us and, and ask us to meet the Jesus that we serve. You see, according to one Bible commentator, the words, sir, we would like to see Jesus have often been engraved into pulpits where preachers can be reminded of the ultimate objective to present Jesus. You know, pastors and those who have the opportunity to teach the church the word of God, we, they all need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded of this responsibility that we're to introduce people to Jesus instead of giving messages that will scratch the itching ears of those people who don't want to endure sound doctrine anyway. Why? Because they're concerned about numbers. Why are they concerned about numbers? Because it's going to hurt their pocketbook. And so they're going to give messages that will scratch these itching ears. They're going to start promoting agendas that are not biblical. Why? Just to keep people here to keep their pocketbooks fat. But maybe some of those preachers need that engraved on the podium. Sir, we wish to see Jesus, to remind them of their role. And I see more and more people here, Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek, they have that attitude. Sir, sir, we don't want to hear any jokes. We don't, we, we don't want to hear what, what political party you belong to. We don't want to hear any social agenda. Sir, when you're up there teaching, we, we just want to meet Jesus. Can, can we meet Jesus? And I, and I know that's the heart of many of you who are here. Verse 22, it says, Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. You see, Andrew is Peter's brother. And, and what's interesting about Andrew is that it seemed that he was always in a position of introducing people to Jesus. By the way, Andrew is the one who introduced Peter to Jesus. He's always in a position connecting people to Jesus, introduce his own brother to him. And then at the feeding of the 5,000, it was Philip who, who brought the lad, the young boy who had the five loaves and the two fish. He brought him to Jesus. And again, in this study, you see Andrew once again coming before Jesus to try to introduce people to him. You see, whether people come to us or we go to them, we should be ready to introduce people to the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the culture, not the Jesus of a particular cult because they bring him down. But no, the Jesus of the Bible is who we want to introduce people to. And I wonder if we're going to be ready to do that. Verse 23, it says, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or a large crop. See, what did Jesus mean? 
that the son of man will be glorified. And the son of man, by the way, is a messianic title, a, a title you would give to the Messiah. And you can see a reference to that in Daniel chapter seven, verses uh, 13 and 14. Son of man will be glorified and glorified means to to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. See, Jesus will be glorified. He'll be magnified, he's saying, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension, him going back to the Father. In this example here in verse 24, Jesus used an agricultural analogy to speak of his upcoming death. See, Jesus' death on behalf of sinners have uh, produced much fruit. See, Jesus, he is that grain of wheat who died for the sins of humanity and and he was buried. And because he died, many believers are going to heaven. In other words, there's because he died, because uh, Jesus, who's that, who's that wheat that was buried, that died because of that, there's a plentiful harvest of new lives. There's plenty of believers throughout history. Many of believers I'm looking at right now, And so that has come to pass. But there's also a personal application for us. That that it's not our job, of course, to die for the sins of the world. Only one could do that. There had to be a perfect being. And the perfect being, God himself, came down into history, took upon a human body, and he died on that cross. He shed holy blood. So sins are paid for. So it's not our job. But once again, there's an application for us. The application for us is to die to self. Because if we die to self, then, then we, through the Holy Spirit, we will bear much fruit as well. In fact, God can use us. If we would just die to ourselves, God can use us more effectively to impact more lives. Not only that, but we become all that God wants us to be in Christ Jesus if we would only die to self. In other words, become that grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. Die to self and allow God to have his way in and through your life. That's a personal application for us. Verse 25, it says, he who loves his life will lose or destroy it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, there's some people who value their current lives. They like to have their own will. They want to go their own way, not even thinking of God, not even thinking of eternity. They just want to fulfill their own desires. So they love their life in this world, not realizing that one day that life is going to end and they have to answer the question, well, will I spend eternity? Because that body dies, but the soul lives on. Will it be in hell or will it be in the presence of God? But the one who decides to set aside his will and their desires and the one who decides to have decides to have a light touch on the things of this world, set it aside. They will keep their life for eternal life as they surrender their lives to Jesus. And when they do that, when they set aside their lives in this world, they have a light touch. They detach themselves from the things of this world. They They understand that the things of this world is not as important as a relationship with God as they decide that, hey, eternity is important and I want to spend it with Jesus. As people decide that 
then this will appear as hatred for life in this world. Again, what we see here is the principle of dying to ourselves, which would allow us to gain and experience much more in Christ Jesus. And then in Jesus, he continues in verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be. That is a promise. What a blessing. And he says, if anyone serve me, him my father will honor. Him my father will honor. People should read that and and, and be ecstatic. But unfortunately, some people will rather have honor from the world. They would rather get a pat on the back from the world. So I have to ask the question, if you're under the sound of my voice, from whom do you want honor? You see, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, and I'll read this from the New Living Translation. It's the Apostle Paul. He says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So who do you serve? Do you serve people or do you serve Christ? Who is your God, man or Christ? And then there's that promise there. If you serve Jesus, the Father will honor you. There's also a scripture that says that that God will honor those who honor him. And we honor him by receiving his son. Verses 27 through 29, we're back in John chapter 12. Jesus goes on to say, now my soul is troubled. It is agitated. My soul, he says, is in turmoil. Because remember, he's, he, he's fully God and fully man. So he has a divine nature, but also a human nature. And so in his humanity, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. I came to this time. And then he says in verse 28, Father, glorify or honor your name. And then a voice from heaven came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I've I've already glorified my name and I'm going to do it again, the Father says. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. See, I like how when Jesus' soul is in turmoil, that he kept things in perspective. He, he looked at the big picture and says, hey, this is the reason I came. This is my mission to die on behalf of humans, to die in their place. We're bankrupt. We're spiritually bankrupt. Only, only Jesus had what it takes takes to, to, to fulfill what was needed to pay for our sins. Only he can satisfy the wrath of God. And how, how do we know that payment, that that payment Jesus paid on the cross? How do we know that the father accepted it? You look at the resurrection. The resurrection is the receipt that says, hey, I've received the sacrifice of my son on behalf of humanity. Sins are paid for. Forgiveness is available to all. But will you receive that? It's not going to force you to take it. It's a gift. It's there. Salvation is a gift. It's there for all. Everybody is savable 
But not everybody will be saved because not everyone will repent and receive Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. So the first thing he did when his soul was in turmoil is that he kept things in perspective. He, he remembered the reason that he came to this point. But then also in verse 28, the first half there, it says that it shows us that he prayed to the father. He prayed that the father would glorify or honor his name. And so I think we could take a couple things from that. Because many of your souls, many of you may be in turmoil right now. You may be agitated from the different things that are being thrown at you in life. It could be various situations. It could be a health situation. It could be a relationship situation. It can have something to do with their employment status. Or maybe an emotional state that you're in and you just can't shake it, but Your soul is in turmoil. And so we can learn from Jesus that we need to focus on the big picture. That, hey, I'm a believer. My father loves me and I'm going to spend eternity with him one day. The big picture. And not only that. Turn to the father in prayer. Father, this hurts. Father, this doesn't feel good. My soul is agitated. I'm I'm in pain. And not just physically, I'm in pain, Lord, mentally and emotionally. But Lord, you have a reason for this. And I, and I pray that you would glorify your name through my situation. That could be the same prayer for us as well. Be glorified, be honored, oh God, in my situation. And what we see here is that the father answered the son, the son of God. He answered him. The father spoke audibly. Not only here, but prior to this at Jesus' baptism. And, and he also spoke audibly at the Mount of Transfiguration. And here, once again, he, he spoke. Father said, I have both glorified my name and I'll do it again. You see, the Father's name was glorified during Jesus' earthly ministry. And he was about to be glorified again through Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Verse 30, it says, Jesus answered and said, this, this voice that you heard, it, it didn't come because of me. I already know my father. I, I've heard it before. It's nothing new for me, but for your sake. Or in other words, it came for your benefit. And he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And so Jesus' death on the cross not only judged the world, which is uh, speaking of the culture that's in opposition to Jesus, And so this is the unbelieving world system he's talking about. So now is the judgment of this world happened with Jesus's death on the cross. But also when you speak of Jesus's death on the cross, it it also defeated Satan, who's the ruler of this world. In other words, he's the little G God of this age. And, and, And Satan became the ruler when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And so what they did, they pretty much handed over by sinning. They handed over oversight of the created world to Satan because it's something that God originally had given to them. Genesis chapter one to have dominion. They handed it over to Satan. And notice Jesus didn't argue with him. If you remember when Jesus was tempted. And Satan took him to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. He said, if you would just bow down to me, I'll give you all of it. I'll give you a shortcut. You could just have it. If you just bow down to me and worship me. And of course, Jesus said no. But Jesus didn't argue with him that he wasn't the ruler. 
that he wasn't the God of this age, that he wasn't uh, the ruler uh, of this culture that was in opposition to Jesus, this world system. He didn't argue with him. But what we do know is because of Jesus dying on that cross, we do know that Satan has been cast out of any rightful authority over God's people. So any authority you give that, that, that Satan has over your life, you give it to him as a believer. He, he's powerless. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Don't give him any authority over your life. But even though Jesus accomplished that on the cross, We don't see him ruling visibly and physically right now, but, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's going to come in the rapture for the church, and you have the seven-year tribulation period. Then he's going to come back with the church, and we'll rule and reign with him on this earth for a thousand years. And after that thousand years, Satan is going to be released from his prison. He's going to be released from that bottomless pit. He's going to deceive folks again. And then he's going to be finally to be, be defeated and cast into that lake of fire. And then you have what we call the eternal state that you see in Revelation 21 and 22. That's the uh, eternal state, new heavens, new earth. But yes, one day Jesus is going to visibly and physically literally come back and reign from his headquarters in Jerusalem over this earth. And there's going to be worldwide peace and worldwide righteousness. In verses 32 and 33, back in John chapter 12, he says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll I'll draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying or indicating by what death he would die. And so verse 33 explains 32. See, some people believe if I'm lifted up means that if you praise the Lord, then he'll draw all people to himself. But 33 explains it. He's talking about, in his basic and literal meaning, he's talking about himself being lifted up on the cross. If I'm lifted up on the cross and die for people, I will draw all peoples to myself. And you see the beginning stages of this early on, right? Because remember those Gentiles or those Greeks, they came to Philip and say, sir, we want to meet Jesus. So you see the beginning stages of it. So, so imagine what happened. And we see this now today. We, we see how many people are being drawn to Jesus. And so when I pray for people to be saved, I ask for, for the spiritual blinders to be lifted because it says that the God of this age blinds the minds of unbelievers. So I pray for the blinders to be lifted. But I also pray this, that the Father would draw them to Jesus because it says that nobody can come to the Son except the Father draws him but they have to respond to the drawing he's not going to force you to believe and so what i see here it christ being lifted up from the earth and and dying on behalf of sinners is that once again all people have the opportunity to be saved he paid the price paying our spiritual debt But then Jesus being lifted up has a figurative meaning as well of being exalted. He will be exalted through his death, through being crucified. And we continue in verse 34. The people answered him, we have heard from the law. In other words, this is this would be our Old Testament. So they said, we've heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is This son of man. And so they missed the scripture that talks about the suffering Messiah. And they only focus on the Messiah who will rule forever. And both are true. In the first coming, 
He, he came as a lamb. He, he died for the sins of the world. So he took care of the sin issue the first time. But in the second coming, you're going to see glory. It's going to come as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And so you see this principle of suffering before glory. And there's many of us right now who may be suffering from whatever it is. But as a believer, the glory is coming. So hold on tight and stay focused on Jesus. Verse 35, it says, then Jesus said to them, he said to the crowd, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And so the light of Jesus' earthly ministry was about to go out since he was going to the cross. And he didn't want people to miss out on their opportunity to receive life through placing their trust in him. And so if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would like to say to you to, to, to not miss out on the opportunity to receive Jesus. Because the time is going to come when you won't have that chance. So right now you have the opportunity, so, so do it. And Jesus, by the way, is that light. It tells us in John 8, 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Turn a few pages, John 12, 46. He says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness, spiritual darkness. If you don't believe in the light, Jesus Christ. And then the, we see verse 36 where you see that Jesus left the crowds to spend the last few days before his death with his disciples. See, one thing I see from this study this morning is that Jesus was well aware of the time. He was well aware that the time had come for him to go to the cross and fulfill his purpose. He knew the time. And he didn't die outside of God's timing. He didn't die too early and he didn't die too late. He went to the cross when it was time in God's plan. You see, there were times early on in Jesus' life and his ministry where people tried to kill him, but they weren't able to because it wasn't time. In John chapter 7, verse 30. Now, this is after Jesus taught in the temple complex. It says, therefore, they sought to take him, but... And no one laid a hand on him because his hour, his, his time had not come. It, it, it wasn't time. John chapter 8, verse 20. These words, and you have to look a, a few verses before this to see what words he shared. It says, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And notice again, no one laid hands on him. For his hour had not yet come. 
And so there were times where people wanted to get rid of them, but it wasn't time. But in this study that, that we've seen in, in John chapter 12, we see that he's well aware, okay, now that this is the hour. This is, this is my time to die for the sins of the world. Oh, and it just reminds us that as the scriptures teach that there is a time for everything. Because, for example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we see that Solomon observed this cycle. He, he observed this cyclical pattern that there was a fixed time for everything that happens. That everything is predictable. And so he goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 3, he, he says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones. If you're clearing out stones for, to, to, for a vineyard, for example, there's that time. And there's a time to gather stones if you want to build a wall or a house. A time to uh, embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So maybe this is something like it's time to say hi and a time to say goodbye. It's a time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Oh, and I wish that some people understood the time to throw away have a garage sale or something we just hold on to things there's a time to keep time to throw away a time to tear and a time to sew so people would tear their garments when in that culture when they were mourning or when they were um you know maybe heard some type of uh, blasphemy or when they were was repented so there's that time to tear but then there's a time to sew a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And so Solomon noticed that there was a fixed time for everything that happens. But remember to, to Solomon, what he's seeing is the monotony of life. We're in this cycle. Everything is going the same way over and over again. But you have to remember that Solomon is speaking as a man of the world. He's not speaking as a Christian. He's speaking as a man of the world from the standpoint, in other words, of human wisdom. But yet and still, he saw that there was a time for everything. And Jesus, of course, saw that it was a time for his death, for a time where he will fulfill his purpose by dying on that cross. And then even in our lives, we, we see the same things that that Solomon saw. You know, we have a little more things that maybe he didn't experience. For us, we see these different sports seasons. There's football season there. There's baseball season. There's, there's basketball seasons. There's hockey season. There's track and field season. There's even seasons of starting school and a lot of the parents who send their children to school, they celebrate when it's time to go back to school. Except for the homeschoolers, homeschooling parents. But then there's a season of breaks and, and many are on or have started spring break. There's that season. So we even see it in our lives. It's almost like clockwork year after year. But then we also see other biblical examples of, of God having a, a specific time 
for things to take place. We, we saw that at a specific time, Sarah gave birth to Isaac. We, we saw that the children of Israel were delivered from slavery in Egypt after a specific time, after 400 years of slavery. We saw that there was a certain time the children of Israel entered the promised land. There was also a certain time that God had set in place where Hannah got pregnant with Samuel. We also saw that uh, Elizabeth, an elderly woman, we saw that there was a specific time for her to get pregnant with John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, according to the flesh. We, we also saw that there was a specific time in God's plan where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And in fact, in Galatians 4, 4, the New Living Translation, it says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And then, of course, Jesus would grow in his humanity. And then there was a time for him to start his public ministry at about the age of 30. And then there was a specific time as we saw in the study for Jesus to die on behalf of humans. God has a specific time that eternal God has set this timing from eternity. But there was a specific time where Jesus would die. There is also a specific time that Jesus is going to come back for his church. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for when he comes back in the rapture for his church and we meet him in the air? And I just want to share with you because we see these biblical examples here. I want to share with you that there's a specific time for God's purpose and plan to fall into place in our lives. And I just want to know what have you been waiting for? And maybe now at this point, you're getting a little tired of waiting. What have you been waiting for? You're tired of waiting. Maybe, maybe you've been waiting to start a family. Maybe you've been waiting for your business to start. Maybe you've been waiting for your healing. Maybe God had put it on your heart to plant a church and the time has not come yet. You're just waiting and you're getting a little tired of waiting going on a mission trip, for example. But I'll I'll share this with you, that if it's in God's plan or his will for your life, then it's going to happen in his timing. And I would discourage you from getting ahead of God's timing. Now, if there's one thing I'm afraid of is getting ahead of God because I know I'll fail every time. And so I would discourage you from getting ahead of his time and forcing God's hand or trying to. So if it's in God's will for you, then it's going to happen when he's ready. But, but if you're growing impatient, I would suggest the following things. First of all, to remember that our eternal God sees time differently. In 2 Peter 3, 8, it says with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So, so things may seem, seem to take a long time from our point of view, from the human point of view, but not from God's point of view. Our God sees time differently. 
And then I want you to ask yourself if maybe you're growing discouraged or impatient because things in your life are are just taking too long to happen. Ask yourself, has, has God ever been wrong? Has he ever been wrong? There's plenty of examples that he has not been wrong. And does God know all things? And then you have to be reminded of the fact of God's love for you. So does God love me? And ask yourself, does God know what's best for me? See, you may become impatient with the timing of how things are falling into place for your life. But remember that, hey, God knows what's best for his children. Better than we know for ourselves. Leave it up to us. We'll mess everything up. So ask yourselves those questions. And then regarding Jesus' death, I want you to notice. I want you to notice that before he went to that cross, he finished his work. He finished everything God the Father wanted him to do. In John 17, 4, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, I've glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you have given me to do. And even for us, there is a time to die. And until it's your time, you're almost invincible, so to speak. If it's not your time, it's not your time. There are people who've been shot in the head with a bullet. Most people would die from, but some people survived because it was not their time. God knows our time, but, but until then, I have to ask a question. You see, Jesus, once again, he finished the words which the Father gave him to do, but the question is, will we be faithful in working for him until our time? Will we be faithful? And also, I would encourage all of us to make it our aim to be faithful in living for him. Until that day comes, until our day comes to go and be with him, to go home and be with him in spite of the pressures from the world, in spite of the pressures from our community, in spite of the pressures from politicians to compromise or whatever the case may be, and in spite of the pressures from ungodly laws. Make it your aim to be faithful in living for him until it's your time. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you hold all things in your hand. You, you have a time for everything. And we give you glory. We pray, Lord, that you help us to, to become patient, to just stay focused on you and what you called us to do to not waver in faith. If there's somebody who doesn't have a personal relationship with you, I pray that you draw them to yourself. Those of us who believe already strengthen us, Lord, strengthen our faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before I take my seat, there is a couple of short videos and the worship team, you can, you can, remain. (laughs) But there's a couple of videos from uh, 
Pastor Jim and Claudia. So I want to show you those. And um, the first one, it's not going to be much talking, but just, they just wanted you to see that. And the second one, you'll have Pastor Jim talking. But uh, before I take my seat, just want to say, may God bless you. May God keep you, use you in a mighty way this week. Um, and also, if you need prayer, please feel free to come up for prayer. God bless. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.